This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And Tara Tibbetts coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas. You are listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for Tax Day. Woohoo! April 15th, 2021, episode 2662. Good morning, Horse World. This is our extra special monthly fox hunting episode. We come to you the third Thursday. So if you're a fox hunting aficionado, just want to learn more or find out what's going on in the hunting world, tune in on the third Thursday. Dun, dun, dun. Why is it extra special, not just special? Because it's fox hunting, which is extra (laughs) special. Which at the end of the day, most other English equestrian sports are somehow derived from fox hunting. That's true. And that makes fox hunting extra special. That's a good point. That's true. Most most English riding disciplines have some relationship to the sport of fox hunting. Interesting. There you go. Right? Yeah. Right. And... Something came into my brain to say, and it's gone now, so I'll just pass on that. (laughs) This is the part of the show where we always catch up on Tara's adventures, because as I've mentioned before, fox hunters rival endurance riders for their adventures, because fox hunters have a propensity for doing a lot of traveling and a lot of visiting and a lot of riding in places where they've never ridden before. So it makes for great adventures. So what have you been up to? So while I have not gone anywhere, I had never gone before because last month I I told y'all about my adventures hunting, um, going to Georgia this month. I just got back a week ago today from hunting in Burwell, Nebraska again, which I've done two fall hunts in Nebraska. This is the first spring one I've gone to. And I can't remember if I talked, I think I talked a little bit about it on the show that Simon and I had kind of a, unfortunate incident while hunting in late November. Simon is your November. horse. Yes, Simon is my horse <laughs> where um, he, he opted to not jump a jump and then I came off and landed on my head. And you, I talked you, about you that, You opted right? to go over the jump with without him, yeah. Yes. So as, as happens with those types of situations, we've had a little bit of a confidence issue mm-hmm. and definitely more rider than horse. I've taken him to lessons with my trainer, which is a hunter barn, hunter jumper barn. And he's had no qualms about going over anything, but like when we were in Georgia, I just did not feel ready to jump stuff there, especially at speed. And they have really hard, good chases and their coops are not small. And so we just kind of laid low and went in non-jumping fields. And last weekend we were in Burwell and the weather was lovely and it was a 
little bit smaller group than normal. I think some of these special um, hunt vacation-y trippy things are still kind of on the upswing in terms of people are just starting to travel again if they're um, being extra careful with COVID. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was just a good opportunity to get out. And we actually went over some coops and had a, like, our last hunt in Nebraska was hands down our best hunt all season. Yay! Yes. So that, that was, it was so lovely to end on such a high note, such, such, such a high note. Yay. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So in your particular part of the country, you're in the Midwest. It has, um, chasing of the foxes and coyotes pretty much wrapped up by this time of the year in April. Yes. And, and it's interesting you say that. So, um, one of my friends from the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area is actually out at Red Rock right now. Their closing hunt was yesterday. And a lot of places seem to, the last couple of weeks, have been experiencing a little bit warmer than normal temperatures. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult to get decent scenting and hunting when it's, I mean, I would say warmer than 65, 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. And it's was 88 here today. So mm-hmm. all the Texas hunts were pretty much wrapped up two or three weeks ago. Got it. So for the uninitiated, the reason the f- that chasing of foxes and coyotes happens in the cooler weather is because the hounds are f- hunting by scent. And if the weather, if the air and the ground are warm, the scent does not stay there sufficiently for the hounds to have a good chase. So what's the point? And really, the sun literally burns the scent. Yes, just cooks it right off of there. Cook, yeah, cooks it right off. So, Which is why fox hunting in Florida, it's a two-week-long season. Yeah. <laughs> and some hunts are incorporating more and more. The, they lay a drag, which is where somebody goes out and they, they drag fox or coyote urine on a trail for the hounds to follow so that they actually are guaranteed that they have scent to follow. And there's a lot of reasons why hunts use the drag. but Yeah, well, that way you have guaranteed sport so to speak because if you go out on a live hunt and the hounds don't find anything you basically spend four hours sitting around looking at each other and then you trot to the next spinny of woods and you sit around and look at each other and then you trot to the next spinny of woods it's really not very exciting so i can see why a um a master or a huntsman would say let's try that because at least that way you know your hounds are getting to practice their their skills and you're paying customers, that's the field, get right. to enjoy out there running and galloping and jumping over jumps. Because after all, when you fox hunt, that's why you go out, to run and jump and have yep. fun. Yeah. And I will say, if anyone is within driving distance, which what I consider driving distance and what other it's people different consider, driving, consider distance driving distance yeah. could be different, but... <laughs> That is one of the best things about hunting in Burwell is that one of the main, well, really both of the main territories that they have, while it's a significantly different climate than what you see in, you know, the Virginias and like, in, you know, the UK, there's a, it's a fantastic opportunity to, they get good runs and they have, the hound work is fantastic, but you can really ride a lot on the tops of hills and really watch the hounds work. And I've learned more about hound work in Nebraska than I probably have at any other hunt I've ever been to because you can see so much of it. 
Yes. And that, and for a lot of people, that's part of the fun of the sport is watching the pack work ascent. Yeah. Yes. And just learning about it. Like it was, it be, it's become more interesting to me to learn about the hound work when you can actually see it. Whereas a lot of hunts, like, you know, when you're in the piney woods of Georgia, when you're right on the hounds, you can see it and people can tell you about it, but you can't really sit up on a hill and watch them work. You can hear it there. The music is beautiful. Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And if you go to MFHA.com, which stands for Masters of Foxhounds Association of America, yes. they have a list of all the fox hunts that are registered, which is the majority of them are registered ones. So if you are not near Burwell, you yep. can probably find one close to you. And actually, spring is a great time to check into it because mm-hmm. the, the the season has kind of wound down. So the folks who run the hunt are now at the point that they can sit back and take a deep breath and figure out what's going to happen for next season. And, and they're kind of in that mode where answering questions and welcoming new folks in is not going to be quite so stressful, I don't think. Yep, and they'll walk out hounds on foot and on horseback. So it's Walking a good time to introduce. so much fun. Yeah, it's a great time to introduce horses to hounds to see if your horse is going to be crazy. And I know a lot of hunts that even after closing hunt, they'll continue to go out hunting with obviously a significantly smaller field um, when the weather is appropriate. So, you know, there's there's opportunities like I like taking horses new to hunting when it's not a big grand opening day or something like that where the fields are huge. Right. Yes, walking the hounds or hound exercise is a great way for horses and riders both to be introduced to the sport in a very comfortable, relaxed, quiet, low-adrenaline way. Yep. Yeah, because once the adrenaline kicks in, (laughs) all bets are off. (laughs) Well, and it's, it's difficult to introduce a horse to hunting at like a day like opening hunt or something like that where there's a ton of pomp and circumstance. Or and in the middle in the middle of the season where yes, everybody's very fit, else, the weather's cold, and, you know, all those things add up in a hurry because early in the season, the hounds and the horses are less fit. So yep. the hunts tend to be a little bit shorter a little bit slower, but by the time the middle of the season, whenever that is at your local hunt, things get a little hot and heavy. That's the whole point. So, you know, take, taking advantage of the seasonality of the sport, which is kind of cool because so many disciplines don't have a season anymore. There's no such yep. thing as an off season in the jumper business anymore. You yep. just, you just a go lot to of a different part of the country. Yep. Yeah. For hunters as well. There's no off season anymore. Yep. There you go. Well, that's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. More adventures. Yeah. I, yeah, you know me, <laughs> you know, I do know you as a matter of fact. And, uh, right after we get a, all caught up with adventures, our next segment is always what's our term of the month, because we could do the term of the month for the next 50 years and not cover them all because <laughs> fox true. hunting really does have a language of its own. Yep. Um, so what's our term of the month? So the term of the month this month is not one that I have like necessarily like, and I'm going to read you a definition. It's going to be more of a conversation type, but the term of the month is boot tops. Okay. Does that mean anything to you, Jen? Boot tops are the tops of your boots. And yes, way back in the day, you could have different colors on the tops of your boots. Colors. Well, you could have black. Or you could have brown. 
And nowadays they make them in crazy cool colors too, but it used to be just black and brown. So in fox hunting, boot tops mean something. So, and I couldn't, I'm guessing they're all, I'm going to explain it the way I've been educated and every hunt I've ever been to has adhered to this. But the way when I was looking up like actual definitions, it led me to believe that this is not necessarily hard and fast rules, but they are this. If you're a guest at a fox hunt during formal season, the only acceptable boot essentially is a plain black tall dress boot. Not a field boot, a dress boot. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So we know what that is. If you are a lady and you have colors with your hunt, which we've talked about previously, you're awarded your colors by the masters, which is you can wear um, your colors on your collar and then buttons and whatever. But as a lady with colors, it is appropriate for your tall black dress boots to have patent leather tops on them. I didn't know about the patent leather. Yes. Ah. But, and that's only ladies, gentlemen with colors wear tall black dress boots. And again, this is formal, formal only gentlemen with colors wear tall black dress boots with brown tops. Huh. I didn't know the differentiation between the ladies and the gents. Well, and it gets a little more complicated. Of course it does. So whips with some hunts and masters with, I think, most all hunts, it's appropriate to wear brown tops. Okay. The discrepancy I have heard a little bit of conversation about, and I have seen some discussion in Fox Hunters on Facebook that's not contentious, but it's entertaining for some of us who think that the whole, like, rules thing that people act like are black and white is entertaining. Um, Some ladies say they would never, ever be caught dead with brown tops on their boots because it's just not appropriate. Ladies only wear patent tops. But I've been to a lot of hunts. I would actually say every hunt I've ever been to, lady whips, both honorary and professional, so basically people who do it for fun and people who get paid to do a whipping-in job, wear brown tops on their boots. Yes, I distinctly remember seeing female masters wearing brown top boots. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And some ladies will not wear a red coat. They think it's inappropriate for ladies to wear a red coat. But I'm very much, um, I I adhere on this whole topic to the, uh, I don't know if you would call it like the feminist movement, but it's like if a master wears a red coat, who cares if it's male or female? There and we then go. I think I'm the, on the same page as you are. Yeah, and a red, what goes with red coats, brown tops of their boots. So, I um, I whipped in for Brazos Valley for a couple years, and I go visit a lot of other hunts. And so I have a pair of boots, and I thought I thought this was really clever on my part. I have a pair of tall black dress boots I had custom made by Daner in Omaha, Nebraska. They're kind of like the the place to go for hunt boots specifically. And I had removable tops made. Look at you. So I have a pair of patent tops and I have a pair of brown tops, but I could also wear them just as plain black boots because supposedly some hunts don't let you wear your colors. And if they won't let you wear your colors, you can't wear patent tops. Now, Art, do you also show your show hunters in those same boots or do you wear field boots for showing your show hunters? So I generally don't own field boots because they're a pain in the butt to clean under the laces. Mm -hmm. So my show boots are dress boots. 
but they're not my Daners. But they're different boots. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I have not worn dress boots in probably 30 years. So if you're one of those people who only owns one pair of riding boots and they're field boots, don't freak out because I have not yet had a hunt that says, I'm sorry, yes. you, can't, you can't pay a capping fee and come with us because you have field boots on. Absolutely. <laughs> and that, yes. Same. Helpful hint, Absolutely though. same. Helpful hint. If you have field boots that are laced in such a fashion that you actually tie a bow in the lace versus those elasticized ones, yep. um, learn how to tuck the bow down inside the laces. Um, Why is that? Well, you don't, it, for the same reason you don't want a big old ponytail hanging out, hanging okay. out on your back. Because it'll get caught on something. They will get caught on stuff. And they do, it does look very sloppy if you've got this big old bow hanging out there. Um, and just tie the bow and it, what works really well is to use a latch hook like you use to pull braids through. Yeah. You just use that to tuck the bow right down inside the laces. That way you will neither get your laces caught on brambles nor offend any of the more sensitive members of the hunt that you're visiting. Well, and it's like after kind of having done some research about the whole boot thing over the years that I've been fox hunting, because I think I'm just finishing, I think this is my 11th season hunting. It's funny to me that black field boots ever became popular because they I, they don't really fit in anywhere in fox hunting. Well, they fit in in the informal attire. Right, but anyone anymore, and maybe it's just as a, a thing for today, but most people wear brown boots. See? Dress or field. In in show hunters? No, no, no. In fox hunting. Oh, and the, see, in my in my little corner of the world, we very rarely saw brown boots, even in informal season. Yeah, I think it's kind of a thing lately. Yeah, I think the brown well, you know, boots. Have styles popular. come and go, even in the fox yes. hunting community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the plaid, the the crazy plaid coats they wore in the 70s. I love looking at pictures of those. Yeah, crazy cool plaid coats. Isn't that interesting? So the Boot tops, ladies with colors could probably, may or may not be allowed to wear patent leather. Ladies with colors may or may not be allowed to wear brown. Men with colors may may wear brown. Brown tops, yep. Plain old boring folks in the field stick with the basic black, no tops. Definitely no tops. Yeah, tops are, and, and I thought about it a lot because, it's been warm when I hunted both in Georgia and in Burwell and coats were waved a couple of days. And so we, we talked about this when we were riding out that when coats are waved, you don't know who has their colors and doesn't have their colors in the field except for boot tops. That's interesting. Yeah. But it, they're, they're, you know, they're very welcoming and it usually, you know, it's most every single hunt I've ever been on they work it out to where, you know, wherever the horses tend to be happiest in, in the order in the field is generally how it works out. You know, if yes. you've got a bad kicker, you want the kicker at the back, regardless of if that person has colors or not. Yes. Yes. And frequently, at least it's been my experience that when you go out with a fox hunt and you're a guest, you're paying a capping fee and hopefully you're associated with someone who is a regular member in some way, shape, or form of that hunt so they can kind of guide you around. Um, They're very kind and forgiving if you don't know who's, who, what position everybody lies in as far as, as far as the hierarchy. If you don't know, 
they don't usually hold that against you. They're usually. And if you're going someplace completely awry, somebody will very usually kindly say, Hey, like don't ride in front of that person. Yes. Yes. It's always, it's always nice if you can be on a horse that will willingly stay in the back just to see why. You see a lot riding back there because you can sit back there and watch the people on the nutty horses that are losing their brains and be like, ha ha. Entertaining. It really is. And you don't get rear-ended. Yes. It really is. I'm a big fan. Yeah, there we go. And thankfully, Simon will go anywhere. He'll go in the front, he'll go in the middle, and he'll go in the back. He doesn't really care. Um, can Nigel become Simon's pen pal, and maybe Simon can give him some advice? <laughs> sure. The only thing about Simon, though, is if he's next to a horse in the field who's, like, losing its mind and it's jigging and it can't walk, he'll kind of act that way, too. So we, we, we tend to try to affiliate with a horse that's not oh. crazy. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Nigel doesn't seem to feed off of that so much. He just wants to be the first guy in line. It's just yeah. hands down. That's the only thing he cares about. First guy. In Simon line. clearly has never cared about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of first guy in line, Horseware is our sponsor today. And Horseware is the first guy in line when it comes to cold therapy for your horse, both before and after strenuous exercise. So we're going to hear from them when we get back. We're going to chat with uh, John Harris, author of Paving Paradise. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. I am excited to be chatting today with John Harris Anderson, author of the new book that was just recently released, Paving Paradise. Welcome, John. Well, thank you, Tara. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So as we like to start with all of our guests, I think it's always curious and interesting to learn how people and when folks started fox hunting. So to start off, tell us about your introduction to fox hunting. Well, I started fox hunting in the uh, mid-late 90s. Um, I had uh, I, I had been out of horses for a while, you know, school, career, family, kids, whatever, kind of it was a distraction, uh, but uh, about that time, I was able to get back into it, and uh, the uh, barn where I was boarding at the time, um, had a good friend there who was an avid fox hunter. She suggested I might give it a try. It seemed like an odd uh, thing to me, but I said, well, what the heck? So I tried it, got hooked, and uh, it's kind of been the central focus of my life ever since. That's so and and I guess I should have also pointed out you live and I I understand maybe grew up in Virginia, which is kind of the the center of fox hunting in the United States. Yes, I've been in Virginia all my life, uh, and um, where I live now is uh, pretty much fox hunting central in the central northern Virginia area. There's probably six hunts within half hour to an hour drive from where I am. 
So I'm curious though, but you didn't, did you know about fox hunting growing up in Virginia or did you just know about it, but not ever pursue it? Uh, well, I really didn't know much about it growing up. I rode a lot as a kid. I, I was a horse crazy kid, um, but um, hadn't really come upon fox hunting. Uh, hung out at uh, some of the barns and what was uh, that were then in Fairfax County back when you actually could ride in Fairfax County, uh, which you can't do anymore today. Uh, oh wow! And also, also in Rock Creek Park in in Washington D.C. Rode out of the stables down there. Uh, had a riding club when I was in high school, and um, uh, so you know I rode a fair amount, but not fox hunting, showing really just sort of pleasure riding. And uh, so really that was my thought of getting back into it. And uh, you know I knew there was fox hunting around here, but uh, didn't really know much about it until my friend introduced me to it, and uh, that's how I got hooked. So. Paving Paradise is your new book, and this is not your first book. So when did you write the first book you wrote about fox hunting? Well, uh, it was, uh, it, it came out about seven years ago. Okay. Uh, that was the, the, the Prophet of Paradise. Uh, so that came out in 2013. Uh, it took a while to actually write it <clears throat> before it came out, uh, but that was the first one. And uh, then, the, then uh, there was a second one after that, and now the third one. So, tell us about Paving Paradise. Is it fiction or nonfiction? Uh, it's it's fiction. Um, certainly, a lot of uh, elements of, of reality that people will be able to relate to. the The inspiration for it came about twenty five years ago, uh, about the time that I was getting into the uh, back into the horse world and into fox hunting, when the Disney Company was planning. Uh, to build a theme park in Prince William County, Virginia. And I was living in Prince William County at the time. And uh, of course that was a, a big uproar and uh, you know, a lot of people opposed to that project and the horse community was uh, at the forefront of that. And, Interesting. Uh, well, yeah, I guess so, a big development. Yes. So um, that sort of planted the seed all the way back then uh, uh, writing a story about uh, a large development. In this case, it's not a it's not a theme park like Disney, but it's still a very large uh, commercial development that uh, would uh, have a significant adverse effect on the uh, <clears throat> rural community in the fictional county that I've created. And uh, so that's the hence the concept of paving paradise with an homage to the lyrics of the Joni Mitchell song "Big Yellow yes. Taxi." Yes. Is this in, is it a series with your previous books or is it a standalone? Uh, no, it's, it's a series. Uh, each book stands pretty much on its own. It's not something you absolutely have to have read in serial form, uh, but it's the same characters, same setting, a little different theme, different approach each time. But yes, there is a there is a continuation in terms of theme and and characters, and and setting. I like it. And how how is it that fox hunting came to inspire writing? Since you you know, you know, seven eight years ago you started writing about fox hunting, and and have you had good reception um, from the general public, or do you have mostly horse fox hunting readership? Well, uh, I would say predominantly uh, horse uh, 
audience. But uh, I think what I try to do in my writing is make it uh, approachable to anybody. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have to ride or even fox hunt to uh, to enjoy a good story. And uh, so it's really about the the story. The the fox hunting, the setting is the color uh, that adds to it. Uh, but the stories are really about people and dynamics and uh, interactions, intrigues, antics, uh, those kind of elements. And is it more, I think I'm saying the right, i saying this correctly, more like literary fiction or is it, I, we had Rita Mae Brown on a year or so ago. So our listeners are familiar with the mystery aspect of the fox hunting writing. Is this mystery or literary or is am I using it's the wrong more term? literary? It's okay. Yeah, no, it's it's not. I I specifically positioned it to not <laughs> not directly compete with Rita Mae's stuff. She's got her lane. My lane's a little different. Uh, we're good friends and uh, and support each other. <clears throat> uh, but uh, my first book, I would classify it as magical realism. You're familiar with that? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, the. Uh, the second one is an is an inspirational novel. It is the Fox Hunter's Guide to Life and Love. Oh, I like that. We and could we, y'all use that. Well, well, I I hope so. Uh, my my intention is that it it can serve as a motivational guide. It uses fox hunting as a metaphor for life. The well, concept lovely. being that life life should always be about the chase. You should be chasing something, chasing a, a degree in school, chasing a new relationship, chasing learning a new skill, chasing a new job. You know, there's always something that should motivate you to be about the chase. And fox hunters know that better than most because that's literally what we are doing. Uh, but it doesn't come easy. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a process of commitment. So in that regard, I have enumerated the seven principles of the fox hunter model, which, if I may recite them for you. I would love that. Okay. The seven principles are primal urges, pageantry, preparation, practice, patience, persistence, and payoff. That's pretty applicable. Well, I, I hope I hope so. I mean, those of us who actually, you know, engage in horse sports uh, and, and fox hunting in particular, you know, you know, it doesn't come easy. You don't just get on a horse and go out and ride the hounds and go, oh, isn't this wonderful? There's a lot of effort in terms of the preparation, the practice, patience. You know, when you're when you're working with a horse, you got to be patient. You got to be persistent. And eventually, you know, you follow those seven principles or six principles, you get to the seventh one, which is the payoff. Those wonderful days of field, you know, when you're uh, following hounds and everything's going great. That's the that's the end result of it. So what I've done in, in, in this in that book is <clears throat> I've laid out a series of uh, stories and lessons. So one of the principal characters from the first book, he is the one who is writing this. From his life experience. Okay. So he relates a story, a, a short story, just a brief, you know, a few pages about some aspect of his life, uh, relational, what have you. And then he draws a lesson from that. So there's there's 24 of those uh, that run throughout the story that, that then uh, illustrate those seven 
seven principles in a, in a story fashion. You know, I manage human resources for a civil engineering consulting firm, and I might start making everyone read this because <laughs> one of my pet peeve isn't the correct word, but my frustrations through our evaluation process is that you have people who are at various stages in their career and usually the ones who maybe aren't aspiring to be the president of the company, but they've been in the field for 30 years and they're like, you know, why should I do evaluations? I don't have goals, whatever. And I'm like, everyone should have goals. And, and the things that we yeah. do every day prepare us and allow us to pursue and achieve those goals. And I think that what you're saying with your seven P's is so applicable because you can't participate in the chase on a fox hunt if you haven't practiced to ride well enough to be able to stay on those long, hard runs. And there's just so much that goes into that. So I think, I think that is a delightful life life lesson. Well, um, thank you. And uh, it's been well received and it, you know, and it's, it's, it's fun. It's amusing. I, I, the way I, I described it was, uh, it's Dave Barry meets Rita Mae Brown meets Dr. Phil. Oh, I love that. So there's a little bit of, you know, uh, counseling motivation in it, but, uh, but it's, it's done in a, in a humorous, lighthearted kind of way. That's wonderful. So, do, are you you're still actively fox hunting? Are you a member of a hunt? Um, yeah. Yes. And if well, so, I, do I, people people who you hunt with read your books and wonder if they're one of the characters? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they do read my books. Um, they've been very supportive of that. Uh, in fact, we just did a uh, with the new, when the new book came out. Well, actually, for all 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 three of them is. Uh, Right at the end of the season, we had a, a fund raising drive for our hound fund, and uh, so we, you know, were selling books to contribute to the hound hound fund. Um, I I I haven't had anybody, you know, say specifically, "Oh, is that me?" I I try to not make the characters too glaringly apparent uh, or obvious to one person, and I, you know, every once in a while, I mention a real a real person, but in a in a benign con. Uh, context. Yeah, there, I mean, there's absolutely some characters in the fox hunting world in the United States that I think are well known amongst myriad of hunt groups. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So, if our listeners are their curiosity is piqued and they want to find a copy of the book, where's the best place to get it? Well, uh, the uh, <clears throat> depending on where you are and which format you want, they, the books are all on Amazon, both print and ebook. Um, looking to get into audio at some point, but I haven't quite, uh, haven't quite cracked that nut yet. That's a big uh, commitment. So those are, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So, uh, but I'm start, starting to lay a little bit of groundwork to get in the audio books, but, uh, but right now they're print and any book on Amazon and, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Horse Country Salary, uh, they are available through that store as well in print form in, in Warrington, Virginia. Uh, you, can, you can find links to all of that on my website, if I may give the web yes, address. Yes, please do. I, I think okay. I, I copied it. We, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. 
Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, www.bluecardinalpress.com. I have one more quick question, John, before we let you go. If a sure. local tack and feed supplier wants to carry your book in their store, should they contact you through mm. your website? Uh, yes, absolutely. There we go. Because I know we have plenty of tack shop listeners out or tack shop owners out there who also happen to listen to the show. So that's the way to go. Go to bluegardenpress.com and uh, contact them there. Well, thanks a lot. This has been fascinating. Yes, wonderful. Well, thank you for the for the opportunity. I'm I'm honored. What a fascinating chat. John is such an articulate yet engaging person to chat with. Absolutely. Very knowledgeable. Very knowledgeable. I, I'm looking forward to, I've discovered Kindle. I got Kindle on my phone so I can read books electronically. Oh, good. Yes. Don't have anything against books, but then I've always got it with me. I don't have to remember to carry a book with me. <laughs> And uh, I've been reading some books, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I always look forward to our fun little education mole segment. And sometimes the educational segment on the show ends up with Tara going, Tara, Tara says to me before the show, we start to record the show, do you have something you want to talk about today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this time Tara said, do you have something you want to talk about today? And I went, uh, and then she said, oh, good, because I do. Yes. And this this is a this is an interesting topic and we're going to have to be careful because we could talk for about 4 days on this. It is. And and there's a number of reasons why this this the subject piqued my interest. So what I want to talk with Jen about is what bit you put in your horse's mouth in the hunt field. And I mean specifically in the hunt field. And a few weeks ago, it might have actually been a couple of months ago, oh, a person posted a put a post in Fox centers on Facebook and um, I'm not going to call them out. Cause I actually want to get that person on, on the podcast eventually for myriad reasons, but very, very, very experienced Fox hunter and was having difficulty with a horse really needed some breaks. And this person had tried a lot of different bits and I th it's an interesting thing to me, and it's something that I wouldn't say I've struggled with it with Simon, but Simon's a 16-2 hand off the track thoroughbred. He's 17, or he's seven years old now. And when I ride him at home, I ride him in a Waterford D-ring snaffle, which is not like it's a pretty mild bit. And I I have everything I need for trail riding, for my hunter jumper lessons with my trainer, for schooling, for everything. But when we get out on a fox hunt and we're galloping at speed, I have zero breaks with the Waterford D-ring. And so over the course of the last couple of seasons, I've been trying different stuff and it's just it's been an interesting exercise. So Jen, have you had a similar issue like this? I've hunted lots and lots of different horses. And the only ones I've not had this scenario with were horses that their only job was fox hunting. All really? Horses, yes. All of the horses that I've ever fox hunted with on a regular basis that also had other jobs, they were a different bit in the hunt field than they did at other times. Now, sometimes it was a subtle difference, but there was always at least two different bits. And Nigel has a similar uh, scenario to Simon. He is also a thoroughbred in that 
when we're at home, when we go out trail riding with friends, um, go to hunter paces with a couple of other horses where we're trotting and cantering. Maximum, maybe a slow twist snaffle. That's maximum. When I'm at home, I can ride him in, you know, a happy mouth, double jointed, super, super easy to um, manage. But when he's in the hunt field, he gets very competitive and I need all the help I can get. (laughs) So what do you use in the hunt field? If you don't mind uh, answering, he just wears a straightforward jointed Pelham. With two reins or one? Two, always. I never ride in a Pelham in one rein. So, last season, I took Simon out, and the first bit I tried, once I discovered that I have no brakes with the waterproof, <laughs> um, I tried a rubber mouth Pelham, and I felt like the, the um, curb chain made him mad. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a little bit of a, not a head tosser, but he like... When you kind of when you take contact with his mouth, he he jerks it away from you. Yeah, he's a rooter. Yeah, yes, and he did that bad with the pellet with the rubber mouth pellet. So fast forward, uh, a a saddlery in one of the Carolinas. I can't. I think it was Farmhouse Tack had a deal on these special bits that are based on a Peter Pletcher bit, which Peter Pletcher is a hunter trainer in Texas, and these my my barn where I take lessons calls it the magic bit. Because it's not particularly severe, but it can be very severe. And, and I don't even know how to describe it. I'll, I'll send you a link to put in the show notes so people can look at it. And I bought that bit with the intent of using it. Like, I know it has brakes because it's, it's a bit that I understand that people will put on a horse that somebody with not super educated hands can ride in it and they won't hurt the horse's mouth, but they actually have some breaks Mm -hmm. and I can't really explain it beyond that. Mm -hmm. But I got that and I tried it on my mare that I do for the show hunters a little bit. And she was mortally offended (laughs) and she has a pretty soft mouth. And so she just was like, this is awful. This is terrible. I can't live like this. And so she went back to, um, she's got a new school. I can't remember which mouthpiece it is. And I ride her in the, um, Herm Springer duo, which is basically just like a rubber mouthpiece is what I show her in. So super nice mouth. And I, I've taken Simon in the hunt field with it a couple of times and I, a couple of times this season and I have fantastic breaks, but I noticed hunting in Georgia, it was rubbing the corners of his mouth and I felt like a big jerk. Um, not like bleeding or anything, but just like you could tell, like it, it was some skin buildup that would slough off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So in Burwell, we went back to the rubber mouth Pelham with two reins and he was like, Oh, I think I like this now. And was that interesting? Yeah, perfectly. It's like he had to get offended by the mean bit. Well, and it could be that he, he responded to a more subtle aid from that. Pelham. Therefore, he wasn't offended. Sometimes it's a, it's not just the bit. It's not just the horse. It's not just the rider. It's those three mixed together. And then, well, four, because then it's also the situation. Yes. Um, So you, it could be a case of he had to, he and you had to mature together into using that bit safely and effectively because a lot of people get stuck up, stuck on the concept of, I can't use, I'll use my air quotes here, 
a uh, severe bit. Right. But on the flip side, a bit is only as severe as the amount of tension mm-hmm. put onto the bit. So I've always ascribed to, I want a bit that I can use the same amount of tension as I would at home, schooling at home in my putt-putt snaffle. So if my putt-putt snaffle only requires a strong half halt and closing my hands with five pounds in each one, I want a bit that I use in the hunt field to have the same effect. I can take a hold of him, give him a good strong half halt and have five pounds in my hands and get the results that I need to have to be safe. I don't want a bit that's so strong that I barely have to touch it. Right. Right. I also don't want a bit that I have to pull and tug and hang on or feel like I have to have continuous amounts of a lot of tension or that I constantly have to move the bit to get him to, I'm going to use mare quotes again, give through his mouth. And so I don't want right. a bit, but that's not how he rides at home. I don't want to have to ride him that way in the field. So that's kind of where I go with what I put on the horse. And interestingly, I put the rider in that mix of four ingredients. Because absolutely, you, you do have horses who require... And this is this is an experience I've had, as I said. I differentiate between horses who fox hunt full-time and horses who have other jobs besides, besides fox hunting. And this, is always, this has been exclusively, I've experienced this only with horses who fox hunt full-time. Um, they don't respond to pressure on the bit. They respond to pressure being released from their bit. You can, Interesting. You can hang and tug and pull and half-halt all you want on those guys nothing. But if you sit back and kind of slap your seat bones into the saddle and let go and then say a little quick prayer, you get a response because those horses are usually ridden by people with poorly educated hands. A lot of times they're guest horses. So they've learned to ignore it, but they have to put that giant bit in there because the guest riding the horse feels better having it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, and so a lot of these, and they were big, strong, strapping horses because you want something big enough to carry all sized human beings, right? Um, and frequently cold blooded, which yeah. makes them slow responders, right? And those horses really, really made me think about releasing pressure. Don't hang on that horse's mouth. I don't care how slow or fast he's going. Just don't do it. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting you say that because my first hunt horse, which we've talked a little bit about, is a quarter horse who went to the world championships in reigning. Yes. That boy knows how to stop. Yeah. So you don't touch that horse's mouth ever. No. If I wanted him to slow down or stop, I just sat down in the saddle and I said slow. And I only said the W-H-O-A word if I really meant I wanted to actually stop because homeboy is stopping. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to get (laughs) rear-ended. Yes. Which kind of spoiled me a little bit um, in the hunt field. And there's there's parts of me that I just, I'm so sad I never got to hunt around with him like I have with Simon because it would have been so fun to take him other places and just kind of see how he was because he actually had the scope to get over about three feet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I mean, I I, like, 
and this uh, I've kind of forgotten about this story, but I remembered it when we were just kind of sharing stories in Georgia. But there was one particular time when we were whipping and and in Texas we were whipping in and Jaguar, I don't even remember what I put in his mouth for a bit because I just, I didn't really need anything. And quite frankly, he neck reined more than he direct reined. Mm-hmm. And we were whipping and there was a coyote that came running out of the bushes next to us. And I could hear the hounds crying and Jaguar went full cow horse mode on that coyote. Oh no! And I, I stuck my hand forward like you do for reining for your large fast circle. And we went after the coyote and he pinned his ears and reached out and bit it and turned it went like turned it right back into that like the direction of the hounds and stepped forward and i mean he just moved that thing over and i never touched his mouth once oh my gosh that's so cool (laughs) it it was it's just and i that's what i love about fox hunting is it's so animal to animal like that it's it's primal the way they act Mm mm-hmm yes it it does tap into a lot of hardwiring for hounds, horses, and frankly, for the coyote or the fox, because he's just going to go find himself his favorite little hole to hide in. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. They're way faster and they're way smarter than most hounds. There's a reason (laughs) it takes 40 hounds to try and catch one fox. Try to find one, much less catch it. Yeah, there you go. They're smart little buggers. Well, that's interesting how it's, it's a little bit of a struggle to figure out what is going to be and what the ideal bit for thunder with rider a might not be the ideal bit for thunder with rider b absolutely yeah wholeheartedly agree because, because you know those things think so do you do you go out would you if you were talking to somebody who was going to go out and do some a spot of fox hunting yep um, i play around with some dressage shows on weekends and I've done a couple of baby novice events, so I'm going to try fox hunting. And my horse goes cross country in, um, that's going to give him a full cheek snaffle. He's going to be in a Dr. Bristol full cheek snaffle when he goes cross country. So reasonably mild bit. How would you say that person should go out and test how that horse is going to behave in a fox hunting field type of situation what can he set how can that person set himself up to give give he and his horses a good test i always 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 advise people start in maybe not a walk trot field but like a hilltop field where your walk trot canter but you're not keeping up with the huntsman and you're not right on top of the hounds because the first field that rides with the huntsman they have to keep up with the huntsman and the hounds at like, Regardless. they don't. Right. And I, I'm trying <laughs> no like, it's not like, they don't not care about you, but they kind of don't care about you. They don't care about you. And so you're better off starting in a field where you can, you can exercise a little more control if you lose it. And you, you can pay a little more attention to your horse and the way it's behaving while you get the horse acclimated. Good advice. And the other advice I have that some people think is an abomination of life, but it's worked out well for me. When I take a horse hawk fox hunting for the first couple of times, I give them an itty bitty teeny tiny amount of ace. <gasps> oh, we're gonna get and possibly. Um, and I do that when I know I'm not going in a jumping field. But 
I've had resounding success with that in terms of it just like, and I, and I really mean an itty bitty amount. Like I do it. I am like half a CC in the muscle 30 minutes before we go. And it just, it, it just takes a little bit of the pomp and circumstance and it makes them less wound up when you're going out. It doesn't like it wears off within 30 or 40 minutes of you going out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, in my experience, it makes it easier, but if not just, you know, know your horse well, bid it appropriately that, you know, you have some breaks and don't start in the very fast front of the line field. I think, I think a lot of people, especially people who have more, who are more experienced riders who have horses who are experienced and successful in their given discipline, cave to peer pressure. When they go out fox hunting for the first time or the first few times, they feel like they need to be in the first field or if yes. they're in the mid-Atlantic states, the first or second field. Yes. And that's that's just psychological peer pressure. I'm going to be judged if I ride elsewhere. And Think you're about not. that carefully. That, you know, you might be better off taking it easy at least that first time and do your horse and yourself a little favor. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of times, you know, get to the hunt early enough that you can talk to the field masters, but some hunts will say, you know, you start out in, in a, um, hilltopper light group that's walk, trot, canter, and your horse is going fantastic. And there's a, a check or something. And you can ask your field master if you can move up to another field some, and they'll let you do that. And if yes. you get up to the other field and it doesn't work out, you can always ask to drop back to a different field. And that happened a ton in Nebraska. And that's a conversation you need to have, like you said, before things before. get started. Not, yes. not five minutes before they cast the hounds. <laughs> no, definitely before. Yeah. And that's and I, that would be my advice for anyone for your first hunt, whether it's your first hunt ever in your life or it's your first hunt with a specific hunt that you're going out with. Just to talk to a couple of the field masters and get a feel for how they do things. Cause like when I went out with Georgia with Bellmead, they have four fields. Wow. So sometimes I think they even (laughs) have five, right? But it's fantastic because if your horse just completely loses its brains, it's easy to move back to another field and still be able to go and can, you know, continue hunting and have a little more, um, control, so to speak of, of your horse and your situation. And, And as you alluded to earlier, not just for your sake, because a lot of, again, especially an experienced rider, your horse is kind of losing his marbles a little bit. And you're going, so uh-huh. what? He's prancing, he's bucking, he's fussing. I can stay on. I'm not going to fall off. But take into consideration how that affects the rest of the horses that are around them. You don't want to ruin somebody else's day out because your exactly. horse is being naughty. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't want to be asked. Oh, that's to- the most embarrassing. If you have to be asked to leave, that's a little embarrassing. You owe, you owe somebody a case of beer if, if that happens. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> well, fun conversation about bidding. Send your hate mail to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com <laughs> if you're offended by anything we, we spoke about just now. And I will make sure that Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com sees that email. Absolutely. <laughs> and now we're going to take a little break and we're going to hear from the fine folks at WinTech. Ride in them a lot. And yes, you can fox hunt in your WinTech. I've been doing it for years, so don't worry about that. And when we come back, we're going to hear from our next guest who is. Newlyweds. Coach Jen here, HRN Chaos Control Officer and host of the Horse Tip Daily Show here on Horse Radio Network. 
Longtime Horse Radio Network fans know that I'm a big fan of Wintech saddles. I've been riding in them for about 20 years now. Whether I'm eventing, showing in dressage, or fox hunting, or hitting the trail at an endurance competition, I know my saddle fits my horse, and it's going to hold up to the toughest conditions and look great doing it. You may be wondering exactly which saddle do I use for this varied group of disciplines? Well, Wintech makes saddles for every discipline. That's how. I have several. And Wintech doesn't sit on their laurels. 2019 brings even more innovation to the saddle range, so head out to your local tax store and have a sit-in one. Or you can contact your favorite online retailer, arrange a test ride, or check them out online at wintechsaddles.us. So I had the pleasure of meeting Connor when I, I met you when I walked out of hounds with Cosmo Drone a couple of years ago, right, Connor? Yes, over the summer, I think it was two years ago or maybe yes. three. And we bonded because we both have what we affectionately call house hounds. And we do. Yeah, and so we've kind of followed along with each other's journeys with house hounds and. After visiting Cozzola Drone, I joined y'all's Facebook group, and mm-hmm. I recall, I want to say it was this earlier this season, I believe, there was an event in the hunt field, not counting the one this weekend? Yes. Well, so it wasn't actually in the hunt field, but we got engaged in January at one of our fixtures, which is pretty close to our house in Santa Fe. Um, so we rode over there and, uh, and Sal proposed. So, so let's rewind a little bit and tell us, um, introduce yourself and then Sal, and we, we got to get the, the cliff notes version of who started hunting first and how y'all met and if it was related to hunting. Oh, sure. Um, so I'm Connor. I've, uh, been hunting with Kazala drones for four or five seasons now. Um, and have, uh, like Tara said, ha- we have a house hound, uh, Cosula Drone Angel, who we've had for going, um, and I am kind of, uh, second string whipper in and, uh, first flight leader for Cosula Drone, which is in Santa Fe. Excellent. Yeah. Sal, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, ma'am. I'm Sal, and... Honestly, this is my first season as any form of member, more of a part-time member due to my work schedule, but this is my first year of any sort of exposure to fox hunting and horses and all the above. So you really hit the ground running. You could say that, yeah. Yeah, he's been riding for about a year um, and started going on hound exercises last summer with me and... uh, and hunted in the starting in the fall. Um, we both came off in his first hunt, so that was oh, exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if it counts for me because we hadn't actually started hunting yet. It was in the parking lot. Yeah, that doesn't um, count. But yes, we both we both got Saint uh, Saint Hubert medals. So at closing hunt, that is funny. So fast forward then to January, you got engaged. So Sal, how did you, did you coordinate? How did that all, was it a surprise? Tell us. Oh, it was absolutely a surprise. And it wasn't, obviously it wasn't based around a hound exercise or anything, but like she said, it was one of the fixtures that is nearby where she lives. So um, we have gone up to an area that's a pretty large lookout where you can see almost every mountain chain 
in northern New Mexico and some at the top of this clearing. And that's just kind of, I decided to have it in my back pocket, so to speak, every time we went out and with the thought of if I could talk her into taking a slightly longer ride up to that lookout, just kind of always being prepared for that moment. And it just finally lined up in January. Oh, that's so that wasn't actually during a hunt. No, no, it wasn't. It it was at one of the fixtures though. Okay. Okay. I'm with you yeah. now. So then fast forward, I, you did get married at the hunt this weekend. We did. We did. So our formal season closed two weeks ago. Um, and during the course of kind of wedding planning and trying to figure out what we wanted to do, um, Phyllis Gonzalez, who is one of the, she's our drag whip and she's the wife of one of our co-founders and masters and, and huntsmen. She suggested, Hey, what about a hunt wedding? And we sort of took that and ran with it. Um, so we had a ceremonial hunt this weekend, um, and our wedding. That is so fun. So were, were your families in attendance and if like, were they okay with this idea? They were, they were. So we've, we've both been married before, so there wasn't any pressure for like a big church cupcake wedding thing. Um, and that's not really authentic to who we are. And so our families were supportive. They thought it was a cool idea. Um, and we actually asked Brian Gonzalez, who is, um, one of the co-founders, he's, uh, one of our masters and one of our huntsmen to, uh, be our officiant. So that was a sweet sweet addition. And even that was, was met well by the families. So that's so fun. So how many people, including the hunt members were in attendance? Um, I think it worked out to be about 40 and we got really lucky because COVID restrictions lifted in Santa Fe County to allow for us to, to do that. And it, so it sort of grew over time as we were allowed to have um, more people. Um, but we had about 20, half were hunt members and half were, um, firefighters, Sal's a, a county firefighter. So, oh, very nice. uh, and then a couple family members. And to kind of paint a picture for our listeners, you, you wore regular hunt attire. There were no like dresses or tuxedos or anything like that. And it was just kind of out in a field and you had some tables and some lovely decorations, right? Yeah, it was pretty low key. We at Cosula Drone always do um, a big potluck hunt breakfast. And so we sort of just built on that idea. Uh, we asked people to bring their favorite dish instead of a uh, gift. And it grew from there. I wore my uh, hunt clothes. We got uh, Sal some hunt clothes. I did wear white breeches as kind of a nod to um, to the wedding. The bridal uh, white, yeah. Exactly, exactly, rather than tan. Um, but we just wanted it to be as as fun and easy as it could be for everybody. And since we have such a great uh, way that we turn out and, and hang out for hunts every weekend, we decided to just build on that idea. So Sal, were you, did, did, is this, you know, did you ever imagine you'd get married like around horses in a fox hunt? No, I mean, absolutely not. No, like I said, it's, uh, until Connor, I think the only horse I'd ever been on was as a child being led around a park, you know, like most kids that have ever touched the horse once, so to speak. Um, so no, this has never been anything on my radar whatsoever. 
Sir, have you been kind of bitten by the riding bug or do you just kind of go along and enjoy just spending time with Connor and, and the Kozula drone folks? It's a little bit of both. I really do enjoy it. I look forward to it when it's planned. You know, Connor's been doing this since she was a kid. So I, I, I have some catch up to do as far as stamina and skill goes. Um, I don't know if I'm quite there where I could be out there every single weekend, but my hopes are one day I can. But I do really enjoy the riding. It's the whole aspect of the hounds and watching what the hounds do when they work together and listen to the huntsmen and the whips and all that stuff's really fascinating. So between wanting to be around her and it being interesting itself, it's been very easy to go along and just continue to do it. Horsewomen around the world hate you now, Connor, because it's (laughs) so unusual and difficult to find a significant other who is a participates at all and B is, you know, incredibly supportive of such a hobby. So I congratulate you on that. And just with it, he wants to ride and continue hunting and any huntsman that's listening is going to be ecstatic to hear Sal that you're into the hound work. Yeah, it's really amazing. And we're lucky, you know, at Cosla drone, most of our fixtures are so open that even if you're further back in first field or, or in second, you can really still see the hounds working. So you get a, a really different sense of it, I think, than you do um, in places where the, you know, the coverts are, are heavier. Uh, we don't really have anything like that. So he's gotten the opportunity to experience it um, a little more up close than I think most people would in their first season. And he's really just jumped in with, with all of it, including, including the riding. I mean, we had, I think, ridden a couple times um, by this time last year. And he said, well, I want to be able to ride, to go on rides with you and, and let you ride the way you want to ride. So I want you to teach me. And, uh, and it's been, been great. And we're fortunate to have some really uh, lovely horses that um, are, are game for all of it. So. so which horse does Sal ride? Sal, tell us so about the Sal? horse you ride. Yeah. Oh, sure. So she, she's got herself a few, uh, gypsy vanners, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's a, she's got a lovely mare who's quite on the larger side for your, your gypsy type. And she's more than sturdy and able to hold myself, who is a little bit bigger than your average horse rider, probably. You're tall, right? She's current. Yes, ma'am. I'm about six, two. Yeah. Uh, two thirty, two forty, right now. So yeah. So I have to obviously think through that part of it. But um, she rides the smaller of the two gypsies, and this mare is a bit longer and sturdier than the others, and she has no problem. She has, definitely has no problem telling me what's up when I'm in the saddle. That's for sure. Well, and I, I personally haven't ridden gypsies, but Connor, I understand they do have really good dispositions, and that sounds like a really great horse for especially a newcomer to fox hunting. Yeah, they're, they're really lovely. I, we have three and they're all just fantastic. And this mare in particular, Faye, um, she came out of an auction in Canada um, and, and didn't have great, wasn't started until she was, until she came to me in 2017, um, and was really kind of quite, um, she had a pretty volatile spook when I got her and she has turned into just the best thing. Um, and she packs Sal around beautifully and she's great for beginners. She's great for my stepchildren and, um, hunted this season and she's 10 months pregnant. 
she's due oh, fun. <laughs> she's due in a couple of weeks. So and she hunted on Saturday, so she's amazing. What what is she bred to? Is she can have a gypsy baby? She is, yeah. There's a, a breeder here in Estancia, New Mexico, which is about an hour and a half from us. So she she had a date there last summer. How exciting. So it sounds yeah. like you'll continue fox hunting. Absolutely. I will. I don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> as long as long as it all plays out the same way, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. Do this do the stepkids show any interest in riding? Because you know, we all you know need to have kids with horse hobbies because they're they're affordable. <laughs> yeah, they um they do great. They we've so we split our time between Rio Rancho and Santa Fe, um, which are about, you know, forty five minutes an hour apart from each other. And on the weekends that we're all in Santa Fe, the kids ride and they're doing great. They all, um, the four-year-old walks and trots and the other two walk, trot and canter with varied success. Oh, um, and they love to go on trail rides and they all ride Faye also. So she's a, she's a keeper. I'm going to have to stalk this because this sounds like potentially the cutest family photo on the planet with y'all on gypsies. <laughs> it's pretty cute. It's pretty cute. Fabulous. Well, congratulations. It's we're, we always thank you. We've had a couple of folks on that have if, who've met in the hunt field or hunted together, but I think this is our first actual wedding in the hunt field. So congratulations. Thank, thank you. you so much. Wonderful. And for folks listening, if you want to learn more about Cosala Drone, they are such a fun and welcoming hunt, and we will put a link to. Um, I think I know Cosala Drone has a Facebook page. Do they have a website too, Connor? They do. Um, we'll find it and put it in the show notes. So if folks are interested and want to go out with y'all, they can they can find it and get to yeah. go hunt with a newlywed. Yeah, that would be great. And we, you know, got a, some good horses. Um, if people want to come and visit, and I occasionally loan Faye out. So fabulous, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, that was a fun story. Heartwarming. Heartwarming. You're so good at finding these really unique, fun, and interesting little bits. You, I don't. Where do you find this stuff? Where I shouldn't ask what your sources are. That's probably top secret. A little spying on the Facebook. <laughs> A little spying on the Facebook. Well, speaking of spying, um, thanks for listening, to everybody. And you can find Tara. She is on social media, and you can stalk her appropriately at. TN Tibbets, and you're going to find links to today's show at horsesinthemorning.com, where you're going to find links to today's guests and topics. And you can also find Horses in the Morning on social media. Horses in the Morning is the name of the page. Horse Radio Network is on Twitter, and the handle there is Horse Radio, all one word. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go. The free app, and it's on the iPhone and the Android. Just go to your app store and search for Horse Radio Network. Thank you so much today to our sponsors, Horseware and Wintech. And good night. Good night. <laughs>